All right. And so we are going to start on page 60. So if you're, you want to follow along, we're going to start on page 60 in the big book. page 60, and here we go. All right, my name is Elizabeth and I am an alcoholic. Um, okay, so we're starting at page 60 because right at the ABCs is where the third step, right after the ABCs is where the third step starts. So it says our description of the alcoholic, the chapter to the agnostic and our personal adventures before and after make clear three pertinent ideas. So by the time we get up to this point, we need to be clear of these three ideas. The first idea is that we're alcoholic or since this workshop's open, whatever you're putting in place of that word and cannot manage our own lives. Some of us are using thinking, control, the, the alcoholic in our lives, food, on and on. So I have to be convinced. I have to, I have to know first that I am what I am, right? And we talked about that in the first step. That identification piece is so important. That's what connects me in the beginning and definitely in the beginning and throughout, but most importantly in the beginning, when I'm hopeless and have not had any of my own experience, it is the person I'm connecting with and you know, putting my hitch onto that we that's happening, that I am getting the hope that, oh wait, they have this problem too. They understand what it's like to be an alcoholic, a compulsive eater, not be able to stop my mind from think, 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 think. My alcoholic husband, my, so that is a vital piece. So do I know what I am? That's the first thing I have to ask myself. And do I know that I cannot manage my life? Then we move to B. Probably, no, I also have to be convinced that no human power can relieve my alcoholism. In the beginning, it was a human being that I latched onto that expanded into the we in my home group, the we of Alcoholics Anonymous. And then the, you know, the, it goes bigger and bigger, right? Then we go to other meetings and, and, and it gets larger and we just keep coming back, keep coming back. And that we, we in the beginning is a, is a very human, at least for me in my experience, it was my sponsor. That was the one I followed around. That was the one that I kind of looked up to like, okay, what do I do now? Where do I go? Blah, blah, blah. And, you know, that's just the way it was for me. Um, but at this point, when I get to this point, I have to be convinced that no human power could relieve my alcoholism. My sponsor can display her experience and hope but she can't take away my alcoholism, right? No human power can. And then lastly, that God could and would if he was sought. And so 
he can, God can. So I, I have a belief that God can. And there have been periods in my sobriety where I believed that God could and would, but I wasn't seeking. And this meeting, we talk about continuous conscious contact. I can only seek now. For me, God can only be found here. And so this is a very alive, I have to be convinced of this now. Not when I put down the drink in 1999, not when I put down the food in February of 2023, but am I convinced of this now? So then if we can answer to our satisfaction, and if you can answer to your satisfaction, then it says being convinced we're at step three. So I don't even enter step three until I'm convinced of those things. Um, And this step, I've entered this step and we enter this step in new places, new levels of consciousness each time, right? We talked about that last week. I'm not the same as I was yesterday, an hour ago, a minute ago. So I'm entering this step now. So for you, I would invite you, if you're listening to this, you're contemplating, you want to, you, you, if you are on board to do the next body of work that comes after this step, I would invite you to ask yourself, am I convinced of these things right now for what's plaguing me? right now, today, in this moment. So when we're convinced we're at step three, we decide to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understand him. The way it was explained to me is that my will or my thoughts and my actions and my life is the culmination of those thoughts and actions. I have a thought, multiple thoughts are strung together. I then behave based on those thoughts, and then I take actions, and I have a manifestation of Elizabeth out in the world in living color for me to see. So to turn my thoughts and my, to turn my will, my thoughts, and my actions over at this point in the work, I I, I don't even know It's like, how do I even do that, right? The first time I went through this, what does that even mean? How do I even do this? Later on, um, Katie Parker likes to share about the, she was my sponsor for a few years. And from four through nine, she says it's like um, a uh, a golf swing. When you pick up the golf club and you pull it back and you go through the swing, there's no, it's a swift movement. There's no pausing there. So this is the the step, the contemplation step, where I I have to ask and contemplate, am I ready to pick that golf club up and take the swing? Because once we move, four through nine is swift. So thoughts, we'll learn later in other steps, you know, practical ways to turn our thoughts over. But for now, we could just think of it as, am I willing to go through the rest of the work? four through 12? Am I willing to have an experience and then turn around and pass it on to somebody else? 
So it goes deeper. It says, just what do we mean by that? And just what do we do? So the first requirement is that I be convinced that any life run on self-will can hardly be a success. On that basis, we are, what basis? On the basis of mental power, we are always in collision with somebody or something, even though our motives are good. Most people try to live by propulsion. And a lot, I've gone through this and many people share about going through this and reading it in the first person present tense. If you've never done that, it's super powerful. I remember the first time I did it. I'll go ahead and read it that way, just so you have an understanding of what that is, just in case you've never done it. So the first requirement is that I be convinced that my life run on my will can hardly be a success. On that basis, I am almost always in collision with something or somebody, even though my motives are good. I am like, uh, I try to live by self-propulsion, right? I have a thought, then I... A series of stories, and then I'm going to push them out into the world because this is what Elizabeth wants. This is the way Elizabeth needs to go. This is how everybody should behave. I'm like an actor. I want to run the whole show. I'm forever trying to arrange the lights, the ballet, the scenery, the rest of the players in my own way. If only this person would move a little to the left, if only that person would move to the right, if my son wouldn't use that tone and he would use this tone instead, my arrangements would, if they would only stay put, if, if people would only do as I wished, the show would be great. Everybody, including myself, would be pleased. Life would be wonderful. In trying to make these arrangements, our actor, I, am sometimes quite virtuous. And we're going to enter now into what uh, we call the self-will toolkits, right? Um, let me see. Somebody is not muted and I can hear it. I'm sorry. That's okay. Thank you so much. Okay. So, um Everybody, including myself, would be pleased. Life would be wonderful in trying to make my arrangements. I might be some uh, quite virtuous. I might be kind, considerate, patient, generous, even modest and self-sacrificing. So that's the one toolkit, right? I got my toolkit there. And then on the other hand, I might be mean, egotistical, selfish, dishonest. But with most humans, I'm... I'm likely to have varied traits. And so I swing back and forth between the two, right? I'll go in with kindness because, I mean, I have some knowledge that kindness works better than not, right? So I'll go in with, oh, yes, yeah, sure. Okay. But really, when that doesn't work, I am got no problem using the other tools, right? It's because I said so. Because this is the way it needs to be done. And I get into that egotistical, arrogant self way of being rather than remembering that self-will doesn't work that my life run on my will will always be unsuccessful that's what we just read not sometimes always I don't know about you, but that's a lot of truth to digest. What usually happens, the show doesn't come off very well. And I begin to think that life just doesn't treat me right. How do I do this? How do I begin to think life doesn't treat me right? 
how does self-pity manifest in my life? That's what I need to wake up to. That's what I wake up to in this process. I begin to think that life doesn't treat me right. So I decide to exert myself more. I become on the next occasion, still more demanding or gracious as the case may be. Still, the play does not suit me, admitting I may be somewhat at fault. I'm sure that others are more to blame. I become angry, indignant, and self-pitying. And the order of that, angry, indignant, self-pitying, that's generally the way it works in my experience. The first thing I do is get the anger comes, the, the irritation, the disturbance when the outsides aren't performing the way I'm thinking they should. Then I get a little, you know, a little or maybe a lot indignant. Like, what's wrong with them? Like, why would she do that? Why would he cut in front of me? Why doesn't she see that there's 15 people in line? You know, I get indignant. And then self-pity. Now, it could be self-pity because I've just caught myself and I'm like, oh, God, I can't believe I just did that again. Why did I say that to her? Why did I actually act on it? You know, and then I'm in self-pity, like somehow I should be above, you know these things. These steps show me that there's a process for these things, not that I will ever get above them. What is my basic trouble? Am I not really a self-seeker even when trying to be kind? Am I not the victim of the delusion that I can wrest satisfaction and happiness out of this world if I manage well? And is it not evident to the rest of the players that these are the things I want? And do not my actions and do not my actions make me make others wish to retaliate, snatching all they can get out of the show? Am I not, even in my best moments, a producer of confusion rather than harmony? So this is what I need to be convinced of, that this is me. This is Elizabeth. This is me. This is the actor on the stage when I'm in, in my mind, allowing my thoughts, my ideas, to come from myself. I got to be convinced of that. And then it gives us, you know, the, the examples of I'm a victim and somebody else is to blame. The actor um, is self-centered, he's egocentric, as people like to call it nowadays. He's like the retired businessman. I'm like the retired businessman who lulls in the Florida sunshine in the winter, complaining of the sad state of the nation, right? I'm a victim. Somebody else is the problem. The minister who sighs over the sins of the 20th century, politicians and reformers who are sure all would be utopia because I'm a victim. They're the problem. If the rest of the world only behaved, the outlaw safe cracker who thinks society has wronged him and the alcoholic who has lost all and is lock up, locked up. Whatever our protestations, whatever my protestations are, Am I not most concerned with myself, my resentments, and my self-pity? And then we get to the root of the problem, right? Selfishness, self-centeredness. Now, I like to think about, um, because this word, this, this particular line in the book, 
can be really misused. And this is one of the things Kate and I talked about, and it was really important for her to voice the misuse of this phrase, you know, because we, um, and I have in the past, not only used it against myself, but used it against others, right? Um, and so what we're talking about here and the, the imagery I like to think about with selfish and self-centered is sitting in the seat of self. So if I'm imagining me, you know, a little me, just a little ego or a little uh, one of our dear friends and actually a man who sponsored me, he he calls it, uh, Stacy calls it Rufus. He, he, he literally named it. And so just this little thing in your head, right? And if I'm seated in the center of self and I can't not be self-centered, right? If I'm looking out of my eyes using my mind, I'm centered on what's happening here. I mean, that's just, that's the human condition, right? So the book is not saying, or at least my experience of it is, that I'm going to get to a place where I never look outside of my eyes. I never look out of my, my mind. No, what it's saying is, and what it's asking me to do specifically in this step is saying, take your will, your thoughts, and lay them down. Just relax, pause. Don't move on them, breathe, have some space. That is the opening, the offering of step three. Now, what comes through is the rest of our journey. So we're sitting in the seat of self, we're self-centered, we're thinking and I have in the margin thinking, I mean, that's really, we could stop there. That's the problem. <laughs> We're thinking. So what, what happens if I don't think? What happens if I just sit and rest and pause, take a breath, get into my body? Hmm. I have a different experience, right? Than if I'm just running and doing and going from the thinking. So we think is the root of our trouble, driven by a hundred forms of fear. So what drives my thinking? I mean, there's just, that's a topic for a million conversations. But in the book here, it says, driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity. Bottom line, these pages of the third step before we get to the third step are telling me that I want something and the world wants something different. And there's collision whenever that happens, right? And what's driving me, what's driving me is my, are my wants, what I want or fear that I'm not going to get what I want. Or it's because it's saying fear is the driving force, right? I'm going to lose what I have. So for what, what my experience has been in sobriety is I get to what I want. I get right up to it. And then I'm with it and I'm like excited for, I don't know, sometimes a couple of days, sometimes like a couple of months. And then there's something inside of me that's just like, hmm, well, it's not as good as it was when I first got it. 
Uh, it needs to, you know, now I need to change it. it. It's never ending. It's never ending. So I'm always, when I'm sitting in the seat of self, little self ego, I'm always going to be driven by fear. I'm always going to be driven by self-delusion and I'm going to be driven by self-seeking and I'm going to be driven up by self-pity because I'm either trying, I'm always trying to get what I want, trying to get what I want. What do I want? And the next step is going to really lay out for us in black and white. How does my particular brand of getting what I want manifest in me, right? It's mine might be a little bit different than Gwen's or Winnie's or Hazel's or so the beauty of these steps is they're an internal. Let me see what I'm doing. Let me wake up to how I am completely and utterly absorbed with getting what I want or trying to get what I want if I haven't gotten it yet or protecting what I've got so I don't lose it. So obviously, if I'm in that state of being, I'm stepping on some toes. You know what I mean? I'm stepping on some toes. Uh, My fellows of my fellows, not only the people that live in my household, but the people in my life, they retaliate. You know, people retaliate. Sometimes they hurt me, sometimes, you know, seemingly without provocation, but invariably, which means always, um, uh, we find invariably we find that at some time in the past we made decisions. There it is again, based on self. Elizabeth thought it up, which later placed us in a position to be hurt. So later places me in a position to be hurt. So my troubles, I think, are basically of my own making. I'm just checking the time there. My own out of my own making, they arise out of myself right? They can't not arise out of me. I mean, that's just the human condition. They arise out of me. And um, if I act on them, you know, that's what this work taught me. I don't have to act on them and I don't have to believe them, right? Uh, It's not, doesn't mean I'm not going to have them. They arise out of myself and I am an extreme example of self-will run riot, though I usually don't think so. And then above everything, I must be rid of this selfishness. So above everything, I have to be rid of the selfishness above everything. And for me, again, it's asking in any moment of disturbance, what do I want? If I ask what I want in the moment of disturbance, irritation, annoyance, I will find what I want. And that is the thing that's causing the disturbance, the irritation, the annoyance. So above everything, we must be rid of the selfishness. We must, or it kills us. God makes us, makes that possible. So God makes that possible. I can't not see life through my perspective, my self-centeredness. I am incapable of not seeing my life through self-centeredness. I have no, there's no hope. There's no way I can take my head off and put it on the shelf. I'm not capable of it. I can't do it. I've tried for many years in sobriety. I tried before sobriety. Doesn't work, doesn't work, doesn't work. And so I get to this place where the book says, okay, well, thank God you realize that. Because God makes that possible. And Elizabeth, you don't have to do it. You can relax. You can take it easy. Um, 
And there often seems no way of entirely getting rid of self without his aid. Many of us have had morals. So even if I have, you know, the right morals, philosophical convictions, I know what the right thing is. I still can't live up to it um, the way I would like to. Neither could I reduce my self-centeredness much by wishing or trying on my own power. So what I must do, steps one, steps two. And then it says, this is the how and why of it. First, I have to, step one, quit playing God, right? I have to admit, I can't do it. It didn't work. Next, I decide that I, in this drama of life, God's going to be my director. I'm the principal. He's the principal. I'm the agent. He's the father. I'm the child. Um, most good ideas are simple. This concept was the keystone and the um, of the new and triumphant arch through which we pass to freedom. Um, if God is the father and I am the child, what is my job? When Kate and I were preparing for this, talking through the third step, talking through these pages, sharing our experience with each other, waking up to new things. She told me about this story she had heard where if I'm the father, if God's the father and I'm the child, what is the child doing? Child's playing. Child's in the backyard playing, knowing, knowing it is safe and protected, knowing it's being cared for. The, the arch that they're referring to in the book here is the cornerstone and the keystone. So if you have an arch, I liked learning about that. I didn't know anything about this before. The arch, cornerstone and keystone are the two stones that hold the arch in place. And if you remove those, the arch falls. And so we're walking through this arch to freedom. And that is our second and third step. That's the coming to believe process. And then the making a decision to turn our life over. And then we get the promises on the top of 63, which is when we sincerely, sincerely take such a position. When I sincerely take such a position, all sorts of remarkable things follow. I have a new employer. I have a new employer. Being all powerful, God provides what I need. If if I keep close to him, how do I keep close to God? I can only keep close to God right now. Continuous conscious contact right here. Perform his work well. Well, how do I know what his work is? I got to listen. I have to have the ability to, to, to sit still, to take a breath, to get in my body. Speak, Lord. My servant is listening. Gwen taught me the prayer. I'm willing to God. I'm willing to die to self today so that your life can be lived through me. Established on such footing, I become less and less interested in myself, my little plans and designs. And then more and more, we become interested in seeing, I become interested in seeing what I can contribute to life. And that's cumulative more and more. So the, every time I go through this work, on a daily basis, right, these principles become, begin to work us more and more. I'm, I'm looking around at what I can contribute to life. It's cumulative. That is really exciting for me to know that, that it just keeps going. Um, as I feel new power flow in and, I'm, and as I enjoy peace of mind, 
peace of mind, I discover that I can face life successfully. I become conscious of God's presence, his presence. I begin to lose fear of today, tomorrow, and hereafter. I'm reborn, right? I'm reborn. And here I am. Here I am at step three. And so we are at 1030. Wow, how that just worked out. Um, And um, what I'd like to invite us to do is if you are wanting to go through this experience and and, and, and next week do a fourth step and then the, the week after that, Um, you know, the fifth step and so on and get to that spiritual awakening as a result of the practice of these steps, a result of the experience of these steps, then I invite you to um, unmute. And what we're going to do is we're going to say this prayer together. Uh, You can say it on your knees or you can say it however it works for you. Um, And before we do that, though, at the end of the prayer, it says, that we, we thought well before taking this step. So I ask that you, you take a moment and you ask yourself, am I ready to take this step? Making sure we're ready. Are, am I ready? Am I ready? Ready for what? To abandon myself. To get out of my mind or use Emmett Fox's law of substitution when the mind just won't stop. Am I willing to feed my mind something that brings me towards God? Like I am the place that God shines through. He and I are one, not two. Gwen's prayer. Thy will not mine be done. You know, am I ready to abandon myself completely? And if you are, then I'm going to go ahead and ask that you, um, I'm going to keep the recording on so that we do the prayer together as an experience for anyone that's not here can just kind of be part of and have their own experience of this work. Um, So if you'd like to unmute, we'll say this prayer together before our meditation. Many of us said to our maker, as we understood him, God, God. God. I for myself to, to, be, to, be, to be, to build with me, and to do with me, Take away my difficulties, victory over them, and witness to those I would help. My power, my love, my way of life, may I do that Amen. All right. Beautiful. Now, there is no amen at the end of that prayer. The amen comes in when we get to seven. So remember that golf swing. We're going to pick it up and we're going to woo go right from four all the way through our fourth and fifth and sixth and seventh step. Um, so with that, we're going to start our meditation and you can simply contemplate whatever comes to you. during our five minute meditation, and then we will open it up for sharing. And I'll go ahead and time it. Uh, Let me see. 
All right. Have a great meditation.
now. We'll now go to a show of hands when sharing. We ask that you please keep the focus on this that we're studying and your experience. Please be mindful of your sharing and keep it to three minutes or so. If you need to talk longer, please speak to someone after the meeting. All right. 